Today's sermon passage is found in Matthew 28, verses 11 through 20. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our great God, Today we celebrate who you are and the work that you have done through your Son, by your Spirit, for your people. Lord, our prayer today is that you would help us all to know you, to love you and to trust you, to walk in your ways. Lord, our prayer is that you would enable us to see Christ for who he really is to run to him and cling to him and trust him. Help us, Father. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't done so already, please take your Bibles. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Um, Our sermon passage today is Matthew 28, 1 through 20, a piece of which Brandy read earlier for us and a piece of which Brittany just read for us. If you didn't bring a Bible this morning, um, the chair in front of you has some Bibles underneath it. Grab those. Feel free to use them. If you don't own a Bible, please, please take that as a gift from us. We would love to replace that this week and allow you to have the Scripture. As I said earlier, today we as the church join saints throughout the world In celebrating this fact, Jesus, who died, is alive. And that's not a warm, fuzzy story to help people of faith feel more comfortable. Rather, it's a true story that has forever altered the universe. And we get to experience the benefits of Christ and what he has done for us. There are times for pastors to be clever. There are times for pastors to be um, intellectually advanced. There are times to push the envelope and push the agenda, and this is not that time. This is the day to look at the story that Jesus has written and prayerfully hope that we hear it as it's been preserved for us. So my hope today is that all of us have an encounter with the risen Savior that changes everything. And my prayer would be that Jesus would do just that. So, if you were a drug here today, 
forced to attend this service and don't want to listen to me talk for the next 30 or so minutes. I'm going to help you. Here it is. Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Son of God, who lived, who died, who was buried, rose again from the dead and is alive. Meaning that he has authority and power over everything. Everywhere. What I would love for us to believe today is that his authority and his power and his presence are a blessing. And run to him. Cling to him. Be changed by him. So if you want to take notes this morning, our first point is hope alive. Hope alive. Those words can just feel like good cliche words. Hope alive, hope alive. Oh, it's spring, hope alive. But we have to understand that they come from a place of despair and death. This story begins with despair and death. So look at verse 1 with me. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now let's not hastily skip over that. There's several chapters of explanation that help us get here. They went to see the tomb from a place of grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt. They went to see the tomb from a place of grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt. And here's why. Because at this point in the story, grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt are justified. They're the right response. The disciples of Jesus had been called by him. They had left everything to follow him. They had meandered around Galilee and the surrounding areas, listening to him teach and and watching him perform miracles and watching him do all of the things that displayed his power and his glory. And they thought he is the one. He's the savior. He's come. He's going to establish his reign, his rule, his kingdom, his authority now. And even though Jesus warned them, they seemed to not listen. Which should just remind us that we're like them. And they get to Jerusalem and Jesus is arrested. Well, he's betrayed. He's arrested. He's condemned. He's beaten. He suffers mightily. He dies on a cross. He's dead. They take him down, they prepare him for burial, they bury him, they roll a massive stone in front of the tomb, and as was read earlier, they even put a guard outside the stone 
to make sure that no one came to sweep his body away. Jesus is dead. The tomb is covered. The stone is present. And the story apparently is over. And so the followers of Jesus are now wrestling with what just happened. And were we wrong? When I told mom and dad that I was leaving the family business to go follow this guy Jesus from Nazareth and they told me I was crazy, were were mom and dad right? I'm not sure how I should feel about that. I'm not sure that uneducated folks in Galilee some 2,000 years ago knew of the seven stages of grief, but I think they were all playing out in front of them. The stone was rolled there just before the end of Friday and all day Saturday. And now here we are on Sunday morning. Grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt are reigning. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary come to the tomb. Now you might be like, all right, pastor, it's Easter. You just told us to be happy. Why are you starting there? Because a resurrected Savior is only good news when we understand that he's overcome death and everything that death has to offer. Joyful hope only moves the needle when it comes to override real despair. And I just want to be really honest with you as your pastor. When you reach out to us in agony, we hear you. And so grief and sorrow and confusion and doubt, this room is echoing in that right now. That's okay. That's okay. Because the resurrection is to speak hope into And through and over our genuine grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt. See, I'm not asking you to come to church on Easter and put on your bright colors and break out your seersucker and get fired up to watch the Masters today and just fake it. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Rather, I'm asking you to just lay it all out there and say this, Jesus, I believe you have something to say. And Jesus, I believe your work goes here. And Jesus, even though today hurts so hard that I can't even look up right now, I believe you are able and you care and you work. Okay? So from that place, because that's where the two Marys were, from that place, let's pick up in verse 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, that's two earthquakes in three days. If I'm hanging out in Palestine, I'm freaking out. Something's going on. I'm sorry, I think I just said a banned word. I'm not doing well emotionally. There was a great earthquake. 
For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen as he said. Come to the place where he lay. Now don't miss this. They didn't have to move the stone for Jesus to rise from the dead. They moved the stone so the ladies could see that Jesus had risen. They appeared so the ladies could see that there was something afoot greater than death. They appeared so that the ladies could see that through their grief, sorrow, confusion, and doubt, Jesus has risen and that rewrites the narrative and changes everything. Jesus is alive is the testimony of the Scripture. Verse 8, so they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What is being declared in this story is that Jesus is greater than death. What's being declared in this story is that Jesus has experienced, overcome, and defeated death. So think about this with me. If Jesus has defeated death, then all the consequences of death in this world, the things that exist because sin and death broke the world, all of them no longer hold sway either. If I'm greater than the greatest of the enemies, I'm greater than all the enemies. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all had sinned. Do you notice what the scripture is saying? Sin brought death. Sin and death now reign all around. Do you see what Jesus is doing in his life? He's defeating death and defeating sin. So as to say, in my being alive, there is no foe that I cannot conquer. And he's bringing the blessings of his life to his people. And I, I think, um, and I think I'm quite certain, I know that the religious leaders 
of Israel understood the magnitude of what this would mean because that's what verses 11 through 15 are about. Oh, we better make up a story to counter that. Because if all we can do is kill him and he can overcome that, we hold nothing. And friends, I believe running through this passage, you got all of these realities that shout the whole world's in play. Earthquakes, darkness, large veils and temples being ripped from top to bottom. This wasn't just a little fable to give some hope to a band of disappointed Followers, the whole story is unfolding in a way for the Lord to say, This is real, it is true, it changes everything. It's real, it's true, it changes everything. So, what I want to put before you today is the claim of the scripture the Son of God has defeated sin and death such that he can offer life and healing and restoration to all who follow him. And I would add, the only real life, the only enduring healing, and the only enduring restoration comes through him. That's the claim of the scripture. So now we're left to wrestle down, what do I do with I want to help you do that. Our second point this morning. I'm way ahead of schedule, so I, I think I'm just going to add two here. We'll be here till like 2 o'clock. I mean, nobody's got like a ham on a timer or anything at home, right? Nothing. Yeast rising, nothing. Okay, good. My family, we had our family meal yesterday, so I got nowhere to be. Second point, authority, power, and presence. What plays out at the end of this passage is, yes, Jesus gives the Great Commission. And yes, that is the foundation of the mission of the church. We'll talk about that in about four weeks. Actually, we're going to come back to this very passage. So all my missions folks, I love you. I'm going to disappoint you for a few minutes, okay? Come back the first week of May, all right? But there's something else going on in this passage. Jesus is explaining to his disciples what this life and hope look like, what it means for them. So verse 16 picks up, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which he had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So first Jesus says, because I'm alive, because I've defeated sin and death, because I am the Son of God and the Savior and the Messiah, all authority and power has been given to me. All authority and power has been given to me. Everywhere, everywhere. 
So the most particular reality that's being laid out here is he says, I'm sending you to the nations, to the ends of the earth. The way the song earlier said it, every people, every language, every tribe, and every tongue. And what he's saying is, I have power there too. Jesus is saying there's not a place where my rule, my reign, my authority, my ability to accomplish my purposes is without. Now, I say that, and you guys are all like, amen, amen. He's going to help those missionaries in outer Mongolia. And he is. And he might send you to outer Mongolia to take the gospel there's another reality here. That also means that here, there's not a place where Jesus is without authority, power, and ability. Okay? So that means in your doctor's office tomorrow morning, Jesus has authority and power and ability. That means in your therapist's office this week, Jesus has authority and power and ability. That means if you argue vehemently in your car on the way to church every Sunday, Jesus there too has authority and power and ability. That means if there is a particular place or person or encounter in your life that feels over exceedingly defeating and broken and hurting, Jesus has authority and power and ability there also. Jesus is saying, My authority is everywhere and there is no constraint on it. And by the way, friends, this isn't an authority that needs us to affirm it. It is. It is. Look, I believe in personal salvation through and through. I believe that humans need to repent of their sin and call upon Jesus to be saved through and through. I'm not going to doubt any of this, okay? But Jesus doesn't need us to give him authority to reign over us. He already does. Now, if we yield to him and we follow him and we walk in his ways, that's the way of blessing. But he doesn't gain or receive, add or lose authority in how we respond to him It's his everywhere and always. So we are now worshiping and serving a Savior who is Lord over everything. There is no end and no limit to his reign. Telling of the coming Messiah... Daniel's dream in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, says this. This is where Jesus kind of took the name Son of Man for himself. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be 
destroyed. It appears to me that Jesus is telling his disciples, everything I ask you to do, I'm able to accomplish. It appears that Jesus is telling his disciples, everything that I send you through, I'm Lord there too. And it appears to me that he wants us to have a similar hope in him. The passage adds one more reality. Not only is Jesus have all authority in all places. But he personalizes it for his disciples in the end of chapter 20. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. There is not a place that we can go Where if we belong to Christ, he is not with us to help us forever. Now notice the sweeping language. Everywhere. Always. Like these are the words that counselors tell us to never say because they cause arguments. That's true. But Jesus can say them because he is everywhere and always able and working and willing and pouring out his love and mercy and grace for his people. Now, friends, I I, I wish these promises of I have all authority and I am with you always equaled easy lives, and great temporal happiness. But in a fallen world belonging to the king, that's not always the case. I might say, more often than not, it's not the case. But the blessing of the gospel is that he's with us in the bad, and that he's defeated the bad, and that he's promised something greater than the bad for those who love him. Christ is with us, and Christ is able in all places. I want to end with verse 17. I want to make this very personal. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. An appropriate response to the resurrection and life of Jesus and to his declaration of all authority and being present with his people in all places, an appropriate response is worship, which is to acknowledge who he is, acknowledge what he's done, and celebrate it. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. That means to use emotions and minds and words and actions and movements to celebrate Jesus.
friends who belong to Christ by faith, may we be moved to a worship that fuels a continued walking with Christ. Verse 17 again, but some doubted. Like, I just want to be very clear. It's better to doubt and be honest about it than doubt and fake it. We want to build a culture here at Redeemer where doubters can seek the Savior. Because I can promise you this. Our doubts don't change who he is. And I doubt that our doubts threaten him in any shape or form. So Jesus, church, conservative, Bible-believing, it's God's word, and here we stand, people, which is a good thing. We don't need to protect Jesus from the doubts of others. He doesn't need our help. We need to encourage honest pursuit of Christ who is truth. So if you're like, I don't even know if any of this actually happened. I have doubts. Would you be bold enough to verbalize that to the Lord and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John with some honesty and some integrity? I trust the Lord to do the rest of the work. If you're here today going, yeah, I think this all really happened, but I'm just not sure that it's that good for me. Would you have the honesty to verbalize that to the Lord and add this to it? Lord, would you show me your goodness? Would you show me who you are? If you're like, I know it's true, and I know it's real, but I just prefer other things, would you verbalize that to the Lord and ask him to respond to you? One of my favorite books is Basic Christianity by John Stott. If you have questions about the faith, we have free copies of this very book out in that foyer, and you should take one with you today. If we run out, you should email Austin Shaver, and we will mail you a free copy. I'm just kidding. Email me. We'll mail you. That was a little bit funny. I think people thought I was just being rude to you, Austin. <laughs> Stott writes, quote, It isn't long before we realize that to find God and to accept Jesus is a very inconvenient experience for most people. It would involve us rethinking our whole outlook on life and lead to major changes in the way we live. Such a combination of intellectual and moral cowardice makes us hesitate. We do not find because we do not seek. And the truth is, we do not seek because we do not really want to find. And the best way to be certain that we won't find is to decide against looking in. 
just a way more sophisticated way to say this. If you doubt, look to Jesus. But look longing to have Jesus reveal the truth to you. And understanding that he'll change everything when he does reveal himself. No one sees Jesus as he really is and stays the same. Ask, seek, find. Our Father and our God. Would you take these words and these truths and as much as what we have said and done today honors you, would you, by your spirit, cause them to be received and be heard and be believed? Lord, would you bring salvation to this room today? And Lord, as a pastor of a hurting congregation living in a fallen world, would you be very present and comforting and healing to your people today? And may joy be rich because Christ is alive. We pray in Jesus' name.